a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. What is up, my friends? Hello. Hi, hi. My first question for you today is, what is up? The sky. Airplane. How's the summer treating you? You know, I think it's treating me pretty well. I'm ready for fall. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, we all act like summer's the best season, and it's just not. It really is not. Like, it's fine, but it's not the best. It's fine, yeah. Especially when you, like, for me here in Billings, it's like, look at the weather app, and it's 10 days of sunny and high of, like, 98 or 99, and it's just like, no, thank you. I'm done with this. It's over. Um, My second question for you is, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking another beer from Findlay Brewing Company. This one is a Kolsch beer. It's called Hike Camp, which, if I recall correctly, is supposed to be a pun, but I don't remember exactly what the pun is. I think it has something to do with like German pronunciation. But it's tasty. It's like a, I'd say it tastes like a traditional wheat beer. It's like a little bitter, a little sweet. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's good for a summer beer. What about you, Emily? I am drinking a good old grape drink, a good old grape soda, because I've just been craving that today. So I went, wow, stopped at the gas station and just grabbed the biggest bottle of grape soda I could find. Nice. I am enjoying a new beer. Um, we enjoyed it at D&D the other night. This is from Mother Earth Brewing Company. It's called Fractured Reality, and it's a very hazy, yeah, it's a very hoppy IPA. So, you guys, I'm coming to my third question of the evening that's going to get the episode started. It's my turn to bring a topic in the triple digits. My first triple digits. Thank you. Congratulations, sir. Yeah. (laughs) It's a big number. We made it. I just recently enjoyed a tremendous experience of a live metal concert here in Billings, which is honestly pretty rare for Billings. Uh, Big bands that I've been that I'm a fan of very often don't come here just because like the touring market is very small comparatively, especially like to your area, Josh, I'm sure you have to be pretty selective about how many tickets you buy to live events. Oh yeah. It adds up. Yeah. Yeah. So enjoyed this amazing show. Uh, my wife came with me, which was very exciting. Um, cause I'm always trying to get her to listen to metal with me. And Went with one of my friends who, like, since the sixth grade, he and I have been best friends, and we bonded over metal music, 
and we never outgrew Wait, is this it. Michael Clausen. This is Michael Clausen. Shout oh, out! What a what a stellar guy. Yeah. So we went to the show together. We bonded over metal music when we were young. We never outgrew it, even though our dads insisted we would outgrow it. We still love metal music. It's amazing. And there's truly an experience at a live metal show that to me, I would describe at this age of my life as a religious experience. Okay. And it really just, I had a kind of a, a jokey thought after a few drinks. I was just standing there with Mike and I turned to him. I'm like, is this my church now? <laughs> it, that, that's the feeling it gave me. So I, I've really been thinking about that experience and like, all the things that were going into providing me a uh, just a wonderful night of live music and hanging out with friends and being in a crowd of people and just like loud noises that you can feel in your chest and it's all very exciting. And it got me thinking about church because I'm very often thinking about church nowadays because... Ironically. Because I struggle <laughs> with like feeling like I want to go back and then sometimes feeling like I definitely don't ever want to go back. Um, so really just kind of like fueled by my recent experience of live music. I'm just kind of wondering what the heck church is even for and why we still do it. Oh, that is not the road I expected you to go down <laughs> with the, with the intro. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, because like sometimes, you know, like I, I went to a show like that and I'm like, oh, I've had this same kind of experience at like a conference, which we've done episodes on or a summer camp or something like that. It's like a, it's an emotional high and it, I feel like it satisfied the same thing that I've missed from church. But then I think like, oh, maybe I could just keep going to like live music in my community and not feel like I need to go to church anymore. So what, mm. like, I don't know, what would, what would you say even sets church apart from that equivalency I'm making. Emily, do you want to be a church apologist first or do you want me to be? <laughs> you go first, Josh. I would say one of the biggest distinctions that I can think of already off the top of my head, like religious beliefs aside, is the consistency. Like mm -hmm. socially speaking, it's like so different to come to a consistent group. You know exactly where it's going to be. It's usually the same people. You know what to expect. It's more or less the same experience week to week versus like, like we can go see our favorite bands, but like the artists change. Uh, it's not consistent. Mm. It's, it's seen as more of like a thing to look forward to that's unique um, and fun and enjoyable for sure. And I'm not saying like church can't be those things, but I think that like on the social scale, it's fundamentally a very different experience for an individual. I will admit... Counterpoint. Oh, okay. Counterpoint first. Counterpoint. I feel like I've formed relationships with people who like are quote unquote in the Billings metal scene where it doesn't, mm. it honestly doesn't matter what band we're seeing. It's kind of the same group of people that's always showing up. Mm. And in that way, there is some form of like consistency or cohesiveness to the group that's attending and enjoying each other's presence. Yeah, like you can still find camaraderie it, despite sure. like... Oh, that's a good word for it, yeah. Not like a single... Despite it not being gathered around belief, it's gathered around experience. Mm -hmm. I also think that's an important distinction. Oh, belief over experience. Um, or an element of belief being there. Yeah, like the really the only belief that people are 
gathering on in a metal show is we like we all think metal music is good enough to listen to like, this that's good music yes <laughs> and like we think this is going to be a fun experience so like that's why we're here versus like the belief that's being centered on in churches usually doesn't have much to do with the experience sometimes it does like if we're talking about like liturgical differences right like someone who's going to emily's church i guess we kind of talked about this on the last episode did we was that the last episode mm-hmm. or am i thinking of a conversation i had the other day <laughs> uh, like they, they really the, do blur together sometimes. They really do blur together. I think it was a conversation <laughs> I had the other day. I was talking with a friend about we were talking about like church unity, and I was like referencing one of our episodes, and like we were just kind of talking about like the paradox of like maybe not everyone who goes to church explicitly believes this, but like at least somebody or multiple people in a church believe that that way of doing church is the best way, and everyone should do it that way. Hmm. And I think that that's a, that's like a hard characteristic to get around. Um, I'm trying to think of more like church apologist kind of things. Um, one of the things that I've thought about in the last year, uh, I think this will be my last point, and then I'd like to hear from Emily. Thank you very much. Uh, I think one of the things I've been thinking about the last year in regards to church is like, in some ways, I do feel fundamentally saved from myself. Like, whoa. Okay. Like I in a way that I like I don't know how to describe and maybe we should just like have a whole episode about like <laughs> salvation what we actually think it's like getting at. But like in a mm. lot of ways like I feel like I can look at the world around me or like hear about people and be like man like I get it when theologians are like total depravity is there. Like some people like do feel truly lost like in the experience of life, morality, relating to other people. And not that I have everything figured out for sure, but like, I think in a lot of ways, my Christian upbringing really shaped the way I view myself and I view the world and I view other people, regardless of how my beliefs have changed since. And I think that church as a social structure really serves as that for a lot of people. Like, I think that there are a lot of people that really, really could benefit from just going to church, even if like the theology is shit. Like... Like, I think that there's like so, like, there is so much like social good that happens that like teaches people by like being ingrained in a community that is not accomplished at a concert or a sporting event or like something similar. Like, I, I do think it is a very different social cultural structure that a lot of research shows on the mass scale does do more good than harm. So, your argument is that they're because of there's like an element of belief in addition to probably like a, an attitude of the world. Yeah. That does, that does a lot to like try to address some pretty deep, like meaning questions in our lives of like, Mm -hmm. why do I sometimes do what I know I shouldn't or don't even like that I do, but I still do. Or like addressing some part of you that you don't like. There's, there's an element of like self-improvement, but also, like enjoying grace, if I can say it that way. And there's more cohesion that comes from that than just like a comedy show or a metal show in a mosh pit. To distill it, that's what you're saying. Yeah, more or less. Okay. Yeah. I hope I heard you right then. Emily? I think, well, I think, you're dis- I think your distillation of uh, going back to like growth is also really important. Like I don't think it's like just belief that sets church yeah. structure apart. Yeah, But sure. I think that it's like, because it's often focused on the individual. Of course, I'm saying that from like a perspective that grew up Protestant. Like, right. 
I, I know that there's like differences between different groups. So yeah. I have a point to make about supportive community, but I cannot let us continue to talk without <laughs> Emily talking first. So I'm going to make a note and I will return to it. Yeah. Emily, I'd love to hear why you think we should go to church or like why church is good. Well, first, I want to ask Stephen specifically, Josh, you can answer too, but since Stephen brought up the topic, have you ever had a bad experience at a live concert? Hmm. Wow, that's, that is not the question I expected. I don't, not that I can remember, if I'm being honest. Okay, Josh, what about you? Uh, I, I reject the question and substitute my own. <laughs> I... What? Excuse me? Yeah, you can do that when you're Excuse a podcaster. Me? I have not, but I also don't think that my answer precludes any like moral judgment of concerts. Plenty of people have had negative experiences at a concert. No, no, no. That, that's okay. That's... But I myself have not. Have you ever attended a bad show? Like maybe not had a bad oh, experience, yeah. but maybe was the concert not good then? Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. But that didn't stop you from going to other concerts. Okay. I think I see so where you're going here. If you have a bad experience at a church, <laughs> that'll entirely stop you from going to church instead of going and trying different churches. Continue. It's it's one of those things where I think church, I'm biased because I'm a pastor. Um, I I think it's easy that if people and I, okay, let me first say any experience bad especially that any individual experiences in a church is a valid and i do not want to like disacknowledge that at all there are horrible things that do happen in churches if you do have a bad experience at a church i hope that a you have a support network to help you and you find the means to heal and to grow even if that means you do stop going to church however if this bad experience entirely throws you away from going to church, then is it the church or is it the theology? Because I think it's very easy to want to blur the lines. It could be the theology is great, but maybe it was a shit pastor or maybe the church community itself is great, but theologically wise, you don't align. And so you feel really icky about attending, whatever the case may be. I think it's very easy to say, this happened, therefore I'm never going to church. But if you have a shit experience at a concert, you're like, eh, there's always other concerts, but there are other churches. <laughs> so yeah. I just I just wonder what it is about the institution of church that people are so comfortable with wanting to throw out the window. But mm. any other social experience that could just be as bad, people are okay with trying new or going to other similar events uh yeah okay i think that's a great point <laughs> you know what's funny is like i'm finding myself wanting to react in like opposite ways to your argument like i'm both wanting to like agree with you and disagree with you mm. i don't even so know how like, to explain it <laughs> here's a great example i love baseball uh, y'all know this when i was 10 years old i had beer dumped on me from the balcony above me 
and we were leaving the stadium and people were making fun of me and mocking me and pointing me and the police were giving me weird looks like that was a horrible experience but i still go to baseball games i love baseball i even drink beer at baseball games Mm. but i have had experiences in churches where i have felt uncomfortable or people have made fun of me and i still go to church like i'm a pastor and so it's yeah i want to know what it is that people are so comfortable or easily readily available to the idea of not going to church but if they have a bad experience anywhere else they're willing to give it a shot or another go or try something new like i want to know what that's about Mm. because as a pastor if i'm doing my job right and if my church is doing what they're called to do, which is to love their neighbor and to serve others and to show God in the world, not force God down people's throats, but to simply show who God is through them, then people shouldn't have bad experiences. And so if that's the case and people are having bad experiences, what is it that we're doing wrong that other events are able to do shit things with and people are still okay with it? <laughs> that's fair. Actually, I, th- I think that your last bit there was really, really good. Uh, because I think that it's like very valiant of you as a clergy person to like want that feedback in a way that like I don't think is very common among pastors when they like talk about people who don't go to church for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Mm. So yes, more of that. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm, man, I'm gonna have to sit with that because like you reminded me of a conversation that I had just yesterday. Actually, um, we were talking about how it's so easy to like feel like your faith is crumbling when the majority of your experience of faith has been following one certain individual mm. who maybe preached like a certain thing and then you found out that like either they had a moral failing or they're not actually doing that thing that they were preaching and then it yeah. like because like most of your faith like resided in that person it feels like everything is crumbling for you so like one person's mm-hmm. crisis becomes your crisis and like i agree that like that shouldn't be the case but then like hearing you talk about like the like your analogy about like sports or like a like a negative social experience and like us continuing to go back and like relating that analogy to church i think that's interesting and i'm not sure if i agree or disagree with it like i feel like i like it and i don't like it okay i don't know josh i think to your earlier point that like there's something about church that's different because we do have these ideas of like uh, like self-improvement and and we have ideas of like salvation and what it meaningfully means to be saved. Like, you know, your phrase is like, I feel saved from myself sometimes and from like bad, you know, corners of my nature or whatever, or, or even just an element of belief, right? Like I, I could not care less if the people at the metal show with me are Christians, but there's something that feels good about knowing that all these people here at church with me are pretty similar at least, you know, like we're all, we all kind of have like a similar goal. That's a lot more than just like enjoying the music though. Sometimes churches can be guilty of just like putting on a worship concert and recreate the same thing that way. Um, but I think like to that point, like to your uh, example in the beginning about concerts, I also don't think that that's a bad thing. Like, I think that that's valuable. Oh yeah. But I also, I also think that in terms of like the religious institution, like that shouldn't be the only thing to be there for. I think there's a level or a layer of complexity when uh, we're forced to grapple with the idea of like, um, 
like harm can be done through theologies and through the living out of those theologies that I maybe don't necessarily get embodied at a metal show. Right. So like my example is I went to a show in Billings a couple of years ago where uh, one of my favorite bands under oath was the direct support. Um, so they played second to last of the whole lineup and I was there for them. Like I was there to experience them perform live for the first time they were the first metal record I ever listened to back in like 2007. And it, it felt so cool to be like connected to that like childhood version of me that like I remember experiencing that music for the first time and being like, this exists. This is cool. Um, so I watched them and then they were direct support for the band Breaking Benjamin. And me and my friend Riley, we were at the show together and one in a third songs into Breaking Benjamin, we looked at each other like, we should go, right? Like, we did not enjoy Breaking Benjamin at all. So we left. We were like, we came and saw what we were here to see. And uh, that was like the first thing that I wanted to say, Emily, was like, have you ever had a bad experience at a concert? I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, I think I've seen bad music, but that's a subjective opinion of like, I don't like their music, but clearly they were the headliner and that like hundreds of people were in this stadium for them. And I can recognize that and be like, I don't think breaking Benjamin is doing harm with playing music that I don't personally resonate with. Whereas I do think a negative experience at church that is explicit. Well, at least for me, like that I can tie back to, Oh, I think that your theology is not only wrong, but I think it's harmful for people that you claim to like, be a church built to serve of like, Oh, I think it's actually harmful that you're not LGBTQ affirming because my wife identifies inside that community. And I don't feel like you are doing the work to create a safe space for her. And I don't feel comfortable like trusting you with like the vulnerability that comes with being part of a church like that. So like I, because I think you're doing harm, I think that layer of complexity um, can actually backfire. And I think that's why yes. it's different between a bad concert and a bad church. But mm. that experience with the church, people, and maybe even you yourself have said, because of this, I just don't want to go to church at all. Mm. Not even thinking about going to other churches. Right. Well, see what I mean? Like, the, you know that there, you know that there are churches, you know that there are churches who are LGBTQ affirming, mm -hmm. and you know that there are churches who, community-wise, are very involved. And so, like, <laughs> this one experience though has totally derailed you, in the sense of if this church is bad, if their theology is wrong and life-hindering, why bother at all? Yeah. When you know that there are churches that are not like that, but people are so readily available to the idea of just letting it all go. I think this is why this question is hard for me too. Like, and it's like hard for me to completely wrap my brain around it is because like, I feel like I'm there. Like I am that person who doesn't, I don't think I want to go to church in a regular capacity for the foreseeable future. So the, my question then and this is just because. Yeah. Why? Like, wh why? Because if it's something to do with something that a church is doing or not doing. Huh. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that can be addressed. Then like we that's the thing is like we don't know. Mm. We see people who leave church all the time and then you hear rumors or you don't really know the truth as to why people leave. And so then churches are confused about, well, what do we do? And then the people who left are saying, see, this is why this church is shit, because they're not doing this or that. But we don't know. Like that communication Mm. is derailed. And like for me Mm. as a person whose job is like solely (laughs) based on like, am I caring for the people I'm serving? If you don't tell me I'm not doing my job, how am I going to fix my job? You know, it's funny that you bring this up because I literally the other day saw this TikTok where this guy is doing, I can't remember if it's master's level research or not, but he's like doing some research project where he's studying why people leave the church, etc. And he's like doing a survey right now. So I'm going to try and find the link to that and I'll send it to you because I think it's like a developing project. Show notes. And yeah, we'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. So, so I think this is why my like answer to your question, Emily, is like so complicated because like in some ways I think that we do oversimplify the reason sometimes, and I also think that we overcomplicate it sometimes. Like I remember people leaving my dad's church when I was little, and like it was exactly what you're talking about. Like we just we didn't talk directly to them. They probably didn't give us a specific answer, and so then it became the rumor mill of like, well, why did they leave? Like did something happen? Uh, but then I like look at myself and I'm like. Sure, I can like look back on experiences. We kind of talked about this a couple episodes ago, and I can like look at things that were, you know, they were probably negative. I looking back, I probably wouldn't do that again, or like wouldn't try to repeat it. But I wouldn't necessarily call it trauma. Like I wasn't like stuck in a, I wasn't in an abusive situation. I wasn't negatively treated explicitly mm-hmm. by someone, and so like I don't have like a like an instance to point to. To be like, that's what caused me to not want to go. And like, I also relate to your really good point about like, there are lots of churches out there. There's tons of great communities out there that like, if you just need a better theology fit, you can find it. Like, it's not hard. Like, if you really just don't need to go to that church anymore, totally possible. And so like, I really Mm -hmm. relate to that. But uh, do you guys want to get psychoanalytic for a second? Yes. Why not? Because I haven't really thought about this until now. So let me try it out. I was like thinking about how I wanted to answer your question, Emily. And I was thinking about like, I think a, a lot of people often don't know why they leave. I think a lot of times it's like a guttural reaction for a lot of people. And so sometimes it's like a flight or flight, fight or flight response kind of thing. And so it's like hard to put into words, even if you want to. And B, I think a lot of it honestly comes down to desire. Mm. And I think that like, it's a, It's a hard thing to pin down sometimes, but like I think about all of the times that I really loved my community and it most often than not, it wasn't because I agreed with the theology 100%. It wasn't because like I thought everything in the church was perfect. It's because my friends were there and like I could lean on people there and like going back to Stephen's point about like the difference between supportive community and just like camaraderie. I loved that feeling. Like I had a desire to be there and I felt, I felt desired as well. And mm-hmm. I think like, I do feel like as someone like on the other side of this, uh, not wanting to go to church right now, it is kind of mysterious, like losing that desire. Mm-hmm. And like, it almost feels like the closest thing it feels similar to is like losing a belief in like a certain belief where like you kind of don't realize it's gone until it, or like you don't realize it's leaving until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think I want that right now anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really thought about like the component of desire in terms of like religious community, whether you like want to be there or not. But I, th- I think that's key. Like you want to be there or you don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Listen. We know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline Blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network slash shop, or tap the link in the show notes. I'm wondering, and, and lest we get too far in this episode, Without me acknowledging, like, I I hope you don't feel like I'm just, like, attacking your job and think it's all worthless, Emily. Um, no, but there are people who do. Yeah. So what I'm thinking right now is I wonder if it comes down to, like, you know, like, Josh, as much as you uh, prefer to caveat, like, I don't, like, you don't think you've experienced religious trauma per se. Right. And that's fine that you don't want to claim that. But I also think someone with a nearly exact equivalent experience as you could classify it as that. Like, oh, sure. Yeah. Like it's up to interpretation. To a, de- to a degree, I want to acknowledge that it, yeah, it's kind of a, like yeah. a perspective choice. 
to say that is traumatic or not based on like your own opinions of your own like resiliency right but no i agree i think my reason in like wanting to highlight that from like my reasoning is that i think that a lot of people do claim their trauma as such and they they often claim that as the reason for not wanting to continue in church or in christianity and i think that often gets weaponized against them oh sure by people Mm -hmm. trying to tell them like well you just need to heal and like move on which like I I don't disagree that like healing should happen, but I think it like gets used against people. So I right that's kind of why I brought it up for me in like I don't even think I have that to fall back on. I guess yeah no I mean that's a great point. I mean like for as much as trauma can uh, literally like remap your neurons, so can healing though. So like keeping that as yeah. part of the conversation, I think is very wise. But like I think when someone has a traumatic experience interpreted by them to be so especially when it's like when it's weaponized bible i wonder if the hesitancy to return to any church let alone just the bad church that you know about emily is the the commonality in the source material (laughs) like i so like dixie there is there is a song that i know i am just not allowed to play around her because uh, that was the song that happened to be on the moment she learned her grandfather had passed away. And mm. that song is just like, a just brings up a trigger response in her of like, I can't do this, right? Like it, it churns up all that grief again and brings back like a very negative experience, seemingly out of the blue. And I think the same, like if you're going to go a hypothetical route, it's like, you know, I have a bad experience with a band. And then, like, I get punched in the nose, and my nose breaks, and there's blood everywhere, and it's gross, and it hurts a lot. And then I hear a cover band play that song. I might have, like, a trigger response to that, like, sense memory, I guess. So, like, I I wonder if the commonality in source material, because bad church uses the same Bible as good church, and it comes down to the interpretation of that teacher and that pastor and that community. Um, But when you're just going to read and quote, like, the same things when you've had Bible weaponized against you. And in the case of like being LGBTQ affirming, like someone using the Bible to say, see, it is absolutely a sin to be homosexual. And that means you have a problem and you have to repent and become straight is like, even if you've learned to not interpret that verse that way, if there's a risk that you go to a church and they read that verse, even in an equitable light, and it just brings all that stuff up for you and you have a, an extremely negative response. And like, I think there's fear that goes along with that. Three, maybe four points. I don't know. My brain is oh, like spinning amazing. right now. Three or four points. Let's go. Send first, off. Send off, queen. First, Rattle them out. Some people would say that we don't use the same Bible because people view translations as being an entirely different Bible. I'm not even joking. I wish that weren't true. Well, and that's not even is. including like Apocrypha, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. So people would say that we don't use the same Bible. Okay. And that's why some people would even say that being a Methodist or whatever you are is illegitimate because you don't use the same Bible as whoever you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, point number two, this falls on the churches. If a person does have a reaction, like a visceral reaction or some type of trigger during something, 
if I'm going to do my job correctly or at least effectively and the way I should be doing it, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ensure that I'm not causing harm to that person. So if I see someone's reacting during a sermon, I'm going to try to like wrap things up and then I'm going to make sure I find them afterwards and say, hi, I noticed this happened during the service today. I'm here to provide pastoral care and counseling or just have a listening ear if there's something that you wish to, you know, work through or just even share just so I am aware, because there are times where pastors would give two shits on what is happening in the congregation. They Mm. would just rather hear themselves talk and they get paid for it. Again, sad reality. I understand this. Um, And so that, again, leads then to point three. If churches are going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is to provide for others as well as being filled themselves, then we need to ensure that people are not being harmed. And so I hope that there are, I know that there are churches out there that are doing exactly what they should be doing and more, and people are going to get hurt in some way. I've just faced that reality. And I think, Josh, what you were speaking to is perfect because it's all about perspective and how we view situations and things. What was traumatic for one person may be just a skid knee for another, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I could be doing everything exactly the way I believe I should be and my church is doing everything that they can and yet people are going to get pissed and walk away. And that's also reality that I need to face too is like you just can't please everyone. And if I'm trying to please everyone, then I'm losing sight of what my call is. Emily, what would your elevator pitch be for what is underrated about church? Like, I think it's really easy for people to see like some of the like social elements or like, like the, I don't know. (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's really easy to see the easy to see things like that are like on the surface and like those people who have, those of us who have been in the church for years, like we know what it's like to feel in community. So I, I guess I'm curious, like what you think is underrated about church that doesn't get talked about very much. Ironically, I think it's the sense of community because I think there's a incomplete or almost a mirage view of what community in a church looks like. We oftentimes see it as it's people who get together on Sunday, maybe go out to brunch um, and, oh, they attend Bible study. Maybe they're in choir um, and they're really nice people. I know the people in church to be uh, when I was in the hospital giving birth to Thea and three women came by my room making sure that I was okay And if I could vacuum, you know, have my house vacuumed while I was in recovery, I see the people in church as the members of my youth group who are gathering to go to the fair and they're going to send me pictures and say, hey, can you share this in the bulletin or in the newsletter? Because I think it's really cool that people see what we're doing. I see the people in the church who do get together for Bible studies, but then afterwards they go and hang out at the bar because they want to keep the conversation going, but they really were craving a martini or a Coors Light. (laughs) I think there is a sense of community that is different than going to a ball game or a concert because you get together with those people and you know you're gathering for that event. But I'm going to gather with the people outside of church literally for any reason 
other than church. <laughs> like, yes, I look forward to seeing them in church, but there's just something that's deeper than church that connects us. Like church is where we connected, but it goes so deeper than that. And I, I just can't explain it. And so I almost feel like I would have a really awful elevator pitch because I would just want people to see it and see if they can experience it for themselves. Like I, I feel like I shouldn't have to elevator pitch it also. It's one of those where it's like, you really want to know? Just come. Like, I can't, I can't tell you because it's my experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's your experience. Exactly. And like, you know, the good thing you have, right? And of course you want to share that and you want more people to participate because you feel like it's, it is valuable, right? Not, not just you feel like it's valuable. I also recognize the shit parts where we have members of our church who question why someone is dressed a certain way or why did we give this person that amount of money to help them fill up their car with gas? Why couldn't we have given less? You know, Mm. like Mm. you're going to have that weird mucky feeling even when the waters appear to be crystal clear. Like it's it's not as black and white as we want it to be. Mm. It's so so colorful and really that's the beauty of it is yeah yeah, there are shit people who go to church (laughs) there are shit people who go to concerts there are shit people who go to baseball games but if they don't steer you away like if you have that thing to hold on to that keeps you going that's awesome but if there's not then that is where my original question of what can i do comes in yeah because if you had a shit experience at a baseball game like I guarantee you when I got beer dumped on me my dad talked to the security guards that woman was escorted out of the game and he wrote to the stadium saying hey like you should be mindful of like what's happening when we overserve you know mm. patrons or whatever and if we're willing to do that for establishments the church is no different yeah i really hear what you're saying about like like shit happens too like it's going to happen everywhere. Like we shouldn't expect anyone to be perfect. And honestly, don't think many people, maybe some people do, but I, I don't think many people expect the church to be perfect. Like, I think that there's a stereotype. Oh, yes, they do. You think so? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and I mean, I'm obviously saying that as like a non-clergy. Oh, yeah. But like, I don't know. I think it's naive, at least, to think that the church is going to be perfect. And I, I think that... It is. <laughs> I think that most... In my experience, I based off of like people I see online and I've talked to, like I don't think most people leave the church because they see the church is not perfect. I mm. think that more people, like if they were going to boil it down to a single thing, I think a lot of people feel misled often, or they feel like a church is misleading people. Whoa, yeah, and I I think that that feels different than just like the stereotypical like well Christians are hypocritical they say one thing and do another which like sure that's a criticism which the response is usually well people aren't perfect <laughs> so it's like kind of an impasse thing but I I think what really grinds my gears even to this day is like the preachers who are just grifters out there or like not even preachers just like people who are like benefiting from Christian theology and the Christian institution that are doing it for their own gain. And it feels like you can see it and it feels like other people can't and they're getting swindled. And I think that that is more enraging to a lot of people than like the little, not little, that sounded really demeaning. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like the, the small town 
church in Wyoming that is doing its best to like, you know, be functioning, have a working budget, like pay their staff well enough while also taking care of their community. Like, I honestly think that most people are not upset about that church. You would be surprised. Interesting. Mm. Maybe I would be. And I think it's because of how people define perfection. Sure. Because I think your definition for sure is accurate, but I think there's more to it. When churches are misleading mm. people, they're not perfect. Like, and obviously there is no church who is entirely, if we're going to be using the definition that we know of perfection, but when I think of perfection, I'm going to be thinking of striving towards being Christ-like. Mm. And I think when churches are swindling people and they are misusing church elements for their own gain, yeah, you are you are far from perfection. And that happens in small churches too. <laughs> you mm. would be yeah. mm. you would be shocked how much embezzlement happens in smaller churches than larger churches. Sure. And it's because they're able to be discreet because they live in small towns and they know word gets around fast, so they figure it out quickly. I think it would be really easy to, and if this is the impression I've given today, I hope I can, uh, I can reverse it a bit because like what I don't want to sound like is like, you know, I, I, I don't want to come across as if my opinion is like a cab, all churches are bastards or whatever, because I don't think that's the case. And Emily, I, I think you are doing like, I, I think you're doing it. To say it simply, like uh, the the care that you put toward your congregation. I mean, even listening to you and your your few points responding to me of like just even paying attention in the middle of your sermon. Like it's it like you have prepared that sermon over the week, and if you are attentive and respectful enough to notice that someone is having an issue with it, and you change your talking points and you impromptu something, some reflection to avoid making an experience worse for someone who's having a bad moment. Yeah. I want every pastor to do that. I think there is a feeling of like of risk when it comes to quote unquote church shopping of like, I don't know that every pastor is going to be like you. Mm. And I think that can be extremely vulnerable and extremely risky, especially when there are such uh, I, I, I just feel like there's a lot of opportunity for legitimate, like trauma response, responses to come up, even if, if the pastor doesn't mean to, you know? And mm -hmm. so like, I, I, I want to acknowledge that I think you're, you're doing it and truly like even watching your church online has been life-giving to me. I truly wish I lived in the same neighborhood as you because I want to be able to go to your church. It just feels, it feels a lot more scary to trust someone else with that. Mm. And I know like there's always that sense of like, you're never going to know if you actually don't. Exactly. You know, like <laughs> I can recognize that too. And like in the discussion of like this expectation of perfection and saying like, well, nobody's perfect. It's like, I can recognize like all, with all my skepticism for what the church is on an institutional level and all that kind of stuff, like. I can recognize in my best reflective moments of like, yeah, ma'am. I mean, what did you expect? I mean, like, I don't believe in original sin, but I do believe we're all fucked up in some way. So, 
what that's exactly what i was trying to say earlier <laughs> like what what do i expect really though because like i'm hypocrite i was hypocritical today so what do i expect uh, like that's that sh- that ought to be almost like uh, how am i trying to say this like i wish the church was known for how hypocritical it was but how quickly it responded to it and acted in repentance but too often i think the church is just known for the hypocrisy and then doubling down on their shit and that just it like over time that just leaves like sour tastes behind Maybe you know you should be a methodist i and that's the thing too is like even theologically i am united methodist there's oh my god <laughs> episode 102 and finally that's the truth though that's the truth though and uh, like there's i think there's an element of bravery that i don't know if i just haven't plucked up yet or anything like you have recommended to me personally methodist communities in billings montana that i should check out and Mm -hmm. i guess now what i want to say is like please forgive me for not trusting you sooner and at the same time it just kind of scares me shitless a little bit. And you know what? I'm here to say that it is okay. That's the other thing that I want people to know is like, there is no rush. Like, if you're never going to go back to church, that is okay too. It's no skin off my bone. Like, mm. you need to be fed and filled in a way that is wholesome for you. And if it means you don't step foot in the physical building that is church, that's fine. If you step foot in an environment that creates church, those sent out, which is what it means in the Greek, then that's perfect. Like that is what church is supposed to be. So if you never Mm. step foot in a church, that's okay. Like there is no rush. There is no, there's no timeline or deadline to finding the right building because Mm. you may never. And we need to face that reality too. As clergy members of the church, People in any community should recognize that there are going to be situations that people are never going to want to encounter again. Mm. So, yeah, people are going to avoid bars if they know that they're an alcoholic, if they feel like they can't go into a bar again. That's fine. If you're a person who can't step foot in a church for whatever reason, that's fine, too. I'd like to give a caveat. I think that people. Oh, first of all, Emily. Thank you. I think that that is very life-giving to say to uh, people who don't want to go to church right now. So as someone who doesn't Put want to- Put that on your bingo card. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to forget to say that. Um, I would like to caveat that I think that people leave churches for different reasons. And I think it's very difficult to generalize and simplify why people are emptying the pews and why there's a rise of the mm-hmm. nuns and why there's- seemingly more people like myself and Steven who are like for lack of a better word discontent or do not desire to mm-hmm. like seek it out immediately like we're not actively searching for like the next thing and i think it's complicated number 2 it is my opinion that the church needs to dramatically shift to continue to survive in our society absolutely and personally i think that that means Stuff as simple as design and schedule. Like, I am not opposed to going to church in the future, whether that means like regularly or irregularly, 
But to be honest, I love having a two day weekend. And like, I feel like I was robbed of that for my first like 24 years of life. Wow. Mm-hmm. And like, I have it now. And like, I kind of don't want to give it up. And I recognize that that's selfish. But like, I also feel like I need that rest. Like, I feel like I was raised to like value rest. And ironically, yeah. I didn't feel like I was living that. Mm-hmm. And take your Jubilee, like, man. Yeah. It's time. Well, it's Sabbath, but. Well, yes. the year of Jubilee, though. <laughs> anyway. And so, yeah, like to your point, like maybe yeah, that's going to be temporary or something. But like, it's my opinion that I think that the church needs to like shift the way it operates so that like clergy and congregants can also have that. Like currently mm-hmm. we have a Monday through Friday work week for most people. And like if, we, if the church like really desires to be a part of people's like ingrained lives, like to be a, like to like almost be so necessary to people's lives as working in a non-capitalistic way, then like it has to change how it functions in a way that like also serves people. Mm. And doesn't just like ask people to overcommit the minute they walk in the door. Mm. And I think very few churches are like accomplishing that right now. I, I, but I also oh. think there's hope. Like I like to be optimistic about it. Like I hear like my friends tell me about churches they go to or like churches they're starting or hearing about. And like I, I think that there's hope. Like I think that like it can change. And I think it remains to be seen how the church will evolve in how mm. it functions. Mm. Thanks for diving into this with me today, you guys. This has been very helpful. Um, oh, good. I think, uh, uh, lest I leave a very open loop that I teased so close to the beginning that I just drive people crazy, I did want to, as my final thought, I wanted to talk about my experience of like a very supportive community in the metal scene. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is honestly... Uh, there's there, it feels like it's something universal, um, because I've experienced this in Denver, Colorado and Salt Lake city, Utah and Spokane, Washington and Billings, Montana, like every metal show I've ever attended, whether I have to travel for it or not. Cause sometimes that's half the fun for me. Like not being in a big music market, traveling to Denver is like a whole event and it's great. And I get to see my friend Alex and hang out and, you know, so there's something special about that too, but the event of the metal show is so cool and it feels universal because I've experienced this in multiple places. And that is the mosh pit code. The mosh pit <laughs> code? And there's really not anything, like I think people have probably made memes about it, but there's I don't think there's like anything officially written down for like, this is how you behave in a mosh pit. But I, what I love about the metal scene and what I love about going to metal shows is that everyone kind of knows how we behave as a group. And it's a very cool experience of like, kind of just like melting into an organism larger than yourself. Because when you enter the mosh pit, sure, from the outside, it looks like everyone's just like super violent throwing punches and you expect blood, you expect like sprained uh, limbs and all that kind of stuff. But being on the inside of the mosh pit, it I have experienced it as such a life-giving <laughs> and supportive community because there is a code for if someone falls down everyone makes room to make sure that one to three people have the space to pick that person back up before they get trampled before they get hurt like if you fall down that's baked into the process and it's like hey you fell down we're all gonna get you back up we're gonna make space for that and like if you want to stay in the pit you can otherwise someone will like walk you out of the pit 
it there is body language to like if someone doesn't want to be in the pit, no one forces you to be in the pit. Like you can stand on the edge and observe, but no one's just going to like I mean, again, here's the thing like even with church is like there's some bad apples, right? Like there's some people who get too drunk for the mosh pit and just like yank people in who don't want to be there. Um, but like the code says like if someone clearly doesn't want to be there, don't force them. Like they're enjoying their experience of the show as it is. And I I've just experienced so many cool moments of like somebody drops a phone or their hat falls off or whatever and someone finds it on the floor, they pick it up and they hold it up and everyone like shines a flashlight on it until it's claimed by the rightful owner and they hand it back and it's like we're all just here together. We're dancing together, like our bodies are touching, we're getting super energetic. It's all music we're connecting over and it's just it's so cool. And whether you take that as a metaphor for church or not, I'll leave that there. I just, there's something about a metal show that like truly, I think will just continue to be somewhat of a religious experience for me, just based on those kind of observations that I've had since I was in the seventh grade going to metal shows. I love it. Well, I also just want to say thank you to Emily. I mean, we like do this roughly once a week and I think that it's, I think that it speaks to your care as a pastor to like even want to talk about this and like talk about it frankly and with people who you are not on the same page with in regards to church. And I find it very refreshing. And this may sound cheesy, but I also feel very safe with talking with you as someone who is a pastor. And I feel like I can be honest with you. And I would consider going to your church if I was in the same town as you. No promises that I would go regularly, but... Oh like, I would want to go Yo, at least sometimes. I don't have any tissues near me. <laughs> you got the Stop. confession from both of us today. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. You guys are too sweet. Oh, gosh. Emily, how would you close out a conversation about this? It's so complicated. Can you sum it up? Well, you know, Stephen's initial question that really kind of sparked a flame under my butt was what is the point of church? And I think. The point of church changes and has changed and will continue to change. And whatever it looks like or doesn't look like to you is just one more thread that we are all pulling on and trying to grapple with. So welcome to Ravel Church, <laughs> led by Stephen, Emily, and Josh. We welcome you in the membership of our church. And if this is a place where you feel you can grow and dive into your faith and just explore who you are, what you're about, what the world's about, then we are on this journey with you. Hey, listener, if this is your first time at Ravel, welcome. Welcome. We are so glad that you tried to try us out Wait, this week. hold on. <laughs> it's crazy that, like, the, the first episode that I'm really committed to not beeping any cuss words is when Emily just goes wild with it. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Amazing. 102 is when Emily gets canceled for cussing as a pastor. Make Emily the new Mark Driscoll. Make <laughs> Emily the new Mark Driscoll. The cussing, pas- the cussing Methodist pastor. <laughs> Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.